Budcast, Nugscast, Dank Sticky Purple Airwaves. I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. It's time for episode number 238 of Video Games Hot Dog, the podcast that we do in San Francisco, California again, and Portland. Sorry, Riff. <laughs> a quarter if of it is If you've liked the podcast so far in the first 10 seconds, uh, you should recommend it to a friend. This podcast uh, was brought to you, like all present and future episodes of Video Games Hot Dog, by our Patreon backers, who are just continuing to astonish us with their generosity. Unless, in the future, people decide to stop backing us on Patreon, in which case, fuck you guys. (laughs) Well, no, we'll just stop doing the show. Like, at this point, we've got a taste for it. So if the Patreon Patreon ever dips below $255 million This is a nice podcast you got here. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it. We haven't actually collected any money yet. That's true. So we don't actually know that any of this money is real. We will get it in 10 days if we're going to get it. That's true. Maybe we, today's they just send us some Patreon company store script. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. All we can do is conti- we can just continue to back duckfeed.tv yeah. on Patreon. They have some ambitious goals over at the Duckfeed network. Yeah. There's a Patreon level at which they uh, quit their jobs. Yep. Is that how, a per, how close are they to that? Yeah, not real it's, close. No, it's like maybe two and a half times what I think their current. Okay, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna Google Duckfeed Patreon. I'm not gonna do Duckfeed with three E's. That's an entirely different <laughs> podcast network that you do not want to support. Yeah, also, okay. don't don't go to Duckfred. <laughs> That's something different. They're at half of, I think, what the... No, no, they're at a quarter of it, sorry. Okay. Well, yeah, you know. They're doing good, though. Bonfire Side Chat hit the number one slot on uh, yeah, iTunes video yeah. games. Yeah, That's super great. Congratulations, yeah, guys. That's, they're so that's great. Cool. I'm sorry, Cole, that your guest spot took place on a weird, quiet episode. I'm going to re-edit it. Um... Also, thanks, thanks, Cole. And and sorry, you I'm, make I'm it, sorry, so. Cole, that I didn't make it. That was a really dumb. <sighs> I feel thing. so bad for I mean, that. Like, we, it, it, like at any point, we could have just said something earlier and saved you a lot of. Hassle. Or I could have just remembered. Well, sure. <laughs> you said something like two weeks earlier. Sure. That's our problem, though. We always mention it too early. Yeah, my, my memory is is it's weird. It's like I've got a spike at right right now. Like during <laughs> wait, your memory. So your memory of the like of the present. It is really <laughs> the best, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> and then do, going do, back, it gets worse. Do you think right. it's because you learned how to remember things by cramming for standardized tests? <laughs> <laughs> cramming for podcasts that were happening that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you uh, would you cram in there today? <laughs> any any interesting anecdotes to share? It's been a couple weeks. Uh, well, there was the time I was playing Factorio and. I couldn't put down the stove I was holding in time, and I got bitten to death by a rat. Uh, that actually happened rats. twice. The tutorial should not have enemies in it until right... Well, we can talk about that game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's, but that was a particular like, thing that made me angry. Cramming for the exam is just brutal. Oh, I see. Because you were just trying to play a bunch of Factorio right before you came here? Uh-huh. Okay. Basically. Yeah. I had already played it. Uh, I have not played it anymore since uh... I managed to not have my life ruined by it. Nice. So. Nice. 
Uh, it's all good. So Kevin and I just got back from ZapCon, which was seems like it was longer than three days ago. Yeah. Uh, you d- you had to drive from state to state. That's true. I uh, on the way here, I stopped in a place and I uh, I I texted my girlfriend like, "Wow, I am in the methiest place." I think I have ever seen. I was just at a gas station and it was just obvious that the whole region had a huge meth problem. And then I was listening to uh, Very Bad Wizards, which is this sort of uh, philosophy slash psychology podcast. And they were talking about Breaking Bad and how it was originally supposed to be set in that town, Riverside, <laughs> California, but they couldn't afford to film there. So they were like, oh, what's a cheaper place that also has a meth problem? Uh, Albuquerque. We'll set it there. Wow. Oh. Um, but yeah. Don't uh, don't stop in Riverside. So how I mean, unless you, you want some meth, I, it's probably really good. No, it's probably not really good. How would you compare the skies you saw in Rivertown to the skies in Breaking Bad? River, I Riverside, whatever it was, had not paid very much attention to either of them. Okay, why do you ask? Because I just really liked the skies in Breaking Bad. I thought in they Albuquerque. were pretty gorgeous. The skies, the in little fluffy Arizona clouds, and New Mexico yeah, very are bright. very very pretty. Okay. Like, they're just big. They're bigger than. Yeah. What were the skies like when you were young, Kevin? <laughs> Seriously though, I, I always I am always struck by that when I go back to Phoenix, and it's like, wow, I can just see for hundreds of miles in every direction, and like there's a storm over there, and there's like some, you know, there's like a there, there was a cool rainbow on the way back, like that was just like just immense. Like I don't know. It. I guess it's just like the lack of humidity. Also, just very flat. Colorado had freaking great skies. Oh, that has mountains as well. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're like Arizona is full of mountains. Oh, is it? Okay. It's got it's got a weird. Yeah, it's sort of a weird geography where Phoenix is because it's Phoenix is flat, but it's a flat flat area. You know, it is referred to as the valley. It is like there are big ranges of mountains on every side of it, and sort of shot through it. And the entirety of northern Arizona is. You know, like it snows in the winter and stuff. Like it's it it is the town that I went to high school in is like the mile high city because everybody like four twenty blaze it right lol lol yeah. Colorado has the Rockies, and so in the afternoon the like, also four twenty blaze it yeah lol and in the afternoons the like the the clouds will come over the mountains and there'll be like a I don't know hour long thunderstorm and then it will be like sunset with awesome clouds rolling out it's great that sounds nice yeah yeah i've never really noticed a sunset here and Hmm. every sunset in phoenix was like remarkably pretty there have been there have been two or three really amazing sunsets here that i can remember there was that like super panoramic photo oh yeah yeah that your 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 popular tweet sure you got so much brand engagement (laughs) You should have figured out a way to monetize that sunset. Sure. If anybody's going to figure it out, it's the uh, it's the disruptopreneurs in San Francisco. <laughs> if we if we need any businessman characters in in our game, I think Brandon Engagement would be a good name. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that is pretty good. Jesus, I don't know. Do we ever want to make a game that's set in an era where brand engagement is a phrase that means anything? It doesn't have to mean like. Like, his descendants invent 
Oh, it, see, there you go. Oh, they invent branding. I mean, there is a lot of branding in the game that we're making now, but it's like branding in the actual literal meaning of brand. But Ben Prunty pointed out that in Lord of the Rings, Tolkien used the phrase express train as a metaphor. Really? Yeah. Huh. Wait, huh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what he, point, he really pointed it out. <laughs> like, I didn't actually do it. Grep. Um, Wait, do you just have a text file of Lord of the Rings on your I would desktop have to in case you need first. to? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is a little odd. Yeah. I used to have a greppable Bible. Like I just sure, why King, wouldn't you? King James Bible text. Did you have a, a Shakespearean concordance? I did not. Is that like an index of every Shakespeare play? It is an index of every word in Shakespeare. Hmm. So you can see, oh, he's used the word comeuppance 23 times, and here's where he used it. I see. Like all the words that he coined. There's that too, yeah. Like the word lonely, which was apparently not a fucking word until Shakespeare. They hadn't invented morphemes yet. Hmm. I thought you were going to say they hadn't invented loneliness yet. No, well, no that, that, there was plenty of that. Like it wasn't until Shakespeare really taught that. people how to feel that they were capable of experiencing loneliness. Thanks, Shakespeare. <laughs> right. you got to remember that Shakespeare is just the first uh, written instance of it. It's possible that it was in the vernacular, but just not written down. No, wait, he coined it. Also, he was real and not just an AI programmed <laughs> From by Francis Bacon on the Babbage's analytical engine. I have no idea if the analytical Not engine was contemporary. With like 100, it was like 100 years <laughs> no. later. Because that's like like Ada Lovelace era, which is like... Like it's, early 1800s, yeah. right? And Shakespeare was or like early 1700s? 16. Early late, late 1600s. Late 1600s. Okay. okay. Yeah. So like 100-ish years. 150. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it could have just been a really good program. It has It, has it the started word running before it. it's... A, like, it was yes. in that kind of big O notation where it starts running way before you run it. <laughs> it finishes... It finishes Huh. Yeah. You you know that it has to be uh, post-industrial revolution because it has it had the word engine in it. Like okay. Analytical. And engine. Shakespeare coined the word engine, so it never appeared anywhere before <laughs> Shakespeare's time. No, because Dante there was engine was used in Dante. Oh, yeah. In the, Infer- in the Inferno, so it's it's got to be older than that. And there was there were um there were all kinds of different engines used in the greek time they say siege engine right yeah yeah okay so engine as a noun a machine that changes energy such as heat from burning fuel into mechanical motion the vehicle that pulls a train something that is used for a particular purpose (laughs) right okay (laughs) oh okay okay. well i mean that's (laughs) i guess these hands are my eating engines this is like i was playing 20 questions with somebody and she said that it was Yes, too. It was a tool because it was used for a purpose. It turned out to be a light bulb filament. Uh, <laughs> that is not a tool. Was okay, that so? Another definition: a mechanical tool as one, an instrument or machine of war; two, obsolete, a torture implement, machinery, any of various mechanical appliances often used in combination, like a fire engine, torture engine. Yeah, like in Princess Bride. Sure. Yeah, like that machine with the suction cups on it, right? Yep. Drains life. Could he could he then take that energy and use it to do other I things? Was, I was just about to ask that. Does it go into like a jar? First known use of engine eighteen sixty eight, though. So no, that's what Mary. So take it up, take it up with our friends at Merriam Webster. Yeah, no, I mean, like I, I we actually literally Merriam Webster. That's a funny. Literally, thing. there it, it like 
from Dante's Inferno. There's it uses in the word engine. So are you I, sure it's not a modern translation? Uh, I'm sure it is a modern translation, but like, what is it translating? Like, yeah, okay, maybe, fuck, I don't know, man. Fuck. I don't know when Dante's Inferno was translated into English. Yeah, that's a good point. It, more than once. I've never read it. Is it cool? It's all right. Does it have like a lot of sick shit in it? Sure. Is it like the is it like the book version of a Bosch triptych? <laughs> Did you ever play uh, Dante's Inferno, the Xbox 360 game? No, I just remember uh, I remember uh, Tycho referring to it as a game where you had to rescue some ripe ass titties from the clutches of Hades. <laughs> Dante's I've, Inferno has a lot of like whatever the written version of political cartoons is. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of it covers a lot of it just. In in all the circles, like one of the major parts of it is naming all the people who are in those circles of hell, and how big all their penises are, like a Breakfast of Champions. Right. Have you guys ever read Breakfast of Champions? I have not. It's a cereal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel as though I keep making that joke, and no one ever knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because no one else has read Breakfast of Champions. It's a Kurt Vonnegut book. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've I'm sure I've read it. I feel like there's a very few Kurt Vonnegut's I haven't read, but it's not in like my top three or four. So it's not one of the ones I've read repeatedly. It's not like amazing. I mean, it, like, yeah. he describes it in the foreword as like a book that he wrote as a birthday present to himself. It's just very, very silly, uh, huh. but it just introduces every male character with the size of their penis, like just the circumference and length, which is, I thought was funny. You know, it's like the albedo. What does that mean? What does uh, that word mean? The amount of light reflected. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The opacity. Yeah. It's always one. Yeah. It's always like a, the alpha of their penis uh-huh. is always 1.0. Yeah. Yeah. Albedo and libido. Uh-huh. Libido, albedo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A libido is like a, an albedo is like a libido that a guy named Al has. Right. So like none at all in the case of Al Bundy vis-a-vis his wife, uh, Peg Bundy, a lot uh, vis-a-vis, say, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders or whoever whoever it is that Al Bundy uh, wanted to use his albedo on. What about Al from uh, Quantum Leap? He was an AI. Do you think they programmed him with a with an albedo? I forgot that he was an AI. Wait, is he an I AI? feel like he was... He did have a tendency to, like, ogle Z- female characters. Ziggy's and- the AI. Al was a real person projected. Oh, that's that. right. Oh, Al was okay. a hologram. He was like a hologram. Yeah, hologram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he wasn't a hologram like the doctor on Star Trek Viger. Right. Yeah, who was right. an AI, right? He was, that, uh, I think, was just a or construct. Or like at the Eazy-E concert. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, or like that. Did did Ziggy talk? No, he no. Just kind of went, it, was, it was like a speaking spell <laughs> that Al, only Al could talk to. Yeah. And... Okay, so if Al was just in a room in the lab in yeah. present day, why did he have did like he a, need a handheld, handheld device, device to to interface? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like maybe was Ziggy was like actually massive servers, and that was just like the handheld interface. Why wasn't it like plugged in? Like it was always it was always on the Fritz. Ziggy mm. was always on the. He was always like smacking Ziggy to try, like. Yeah, and he made the little uh, noise. <laughs> It's prototype technology. I don't actually know if I've ever seen an entire episode of Quantum Leap. Did so could Al see what 
Sam or whatever his name was could see. Yeah, Sam Beckett. Sam Beckett. His name was Samuel Beckett. Samuel he used to give uh, Andre the Giant. <laughs> it was. He used to give Andre the Giant a ride to school in France. Wait, what? The playwright Samuel Beckett lived near Andre the Giant and used to take him to school. No way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. Just a weird. That is so strange. <laughs> yeah, the, the Andre the Giant's life was really fascinating. Um, huh. Okay. Uh, so could Al see the surroundings that Sam was in, or did I he just sort of have to so. imagine? It did seem like he reacted to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly so. National Treasure Dean Stockwell was on set, so it would have been hard to... Sure. So then... He might have just been reading it like The Matrix. Mm. Could they... Yeah, did they get like, like a feed from the it, Dr. Yeah, Beckett's just, yeah, eyes? It was a book that someone wrote down the historical events in that he was just oh, reading. Oh, okay. So it was all just like <laughs> almanacs and stuff. They were just reconstructing it and then Al was just doing his best wow. to like say what needed to be said right, at any given time. Like that makes sense why sometimes he's in the wrong room or something. Right, and right. Sam is like, what the fuck are you doing over here, Al? And, and sometimes the almanac just changes because of past events that change. Yeah, man, what if the way that what if the way that, that worked is like every time he jumped, he would fuck up in a way that got him killed, and then the scientists in the modern day had to scramble to like figure out what happened based on like obituaries. Yeah. And then right. and as soon as the like as soon as it's the it's really poorly documented, they know they're doing okay. Because right, it right, they're on the, the right track. The less information there is that differs from what hmm. Like, but what they what you're doing say did not differs, make the news. It's this is good. Differs from what? Right, differs from what? Like yeah, yeah. Maybe they maybe they have to keep themselves in like like no one is allowed into the lab because it's in a like Schrodinger's right. present state of state right where that both things are true and they can see both states although they themselves are observing it maybe they have to look at it in a mirror so it doesn't count as observing <laughs> so this is now officially the the writing room for the quantum leap reboot yeah <laughs> that's a good name just quantum leap reboot oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're doing it. All right, come on, venture capitalists. Ultramax Headroom. Oh, yeah. Did you guys see that uh, article that everybody was outraged about on Twitter, the essay from the venture oh, capital yeah. guy about how... Yeah, uh, that was amazing. People who work in what video am, games... What like, an amazing should... piece of work. Just completely denies the possibility of parody. The, um, the premise is that people who complain about being forced to work 80 hour weeks crunching to finish games for big studios should just stop whining because they're artists not it's not a real job and it, what brought them there was their passion the the thing that strikes me about it is that the guy kind of has a point because the problem is that there are a bunch of recent college grads who believe that so it's always possible to hire someone who will work 80 hours a week oh, yeah, this, to replace this was, someone who won't. And you're never going to convince like a 22 year old. This guy is a recruiter. So he's like, he's coming from the perspective of how you hire people. Uh, the other point that I think he could have made if he had understood it better um, is the idea that, and this is something Ian Bogus was tweeting about um, that uh, arguably, art should be completely separated from the idea of commerce, from economics. Okay. And it should be uh, compensated using a completely different system 
because right, he was suggesting either patronage or just government, like just tax supported. Yeah. I, the thing that the thing that strikes me as a little dangerous about that is that it seems like you would not end up with a lot of like just of the sort of populist dreck art that I love. <laughs> right. If if everything had to be like letting the market decide what it wants for video games has resulted in some video games that are maybe not great art, but I'm really glad that they exist. Sure. But I mean, our, our ha- having everything be sort of a lofty art with capital A, I guess is, seems like not what people actually really want anyway. Right. So there's the, also, there's a danger of like, carefully like if you're classifying something as if you try to divide human um activities into art and not art you get things like how uh someone i think from new zealand was complaining to me at gdc about how it's possible to get uh, a grant for like interactive software uh from the government as long as it's not a video game (laughs) okay uh, because video games are are uh, commercial product and not art. Anyway, basic income fixes all this. Yeah, it really does. Like basic income creates awesome stuff. Like more than I mean, there's already more awesome stuff than you have time for in a lifetime. But man, there would be so much more and so much weirder shit in the world. Yep. Weirder is is the important part for me there. Yeah, no, me yeah. too. Like, yeah. <laughs> like somebody could just decide to make Skyrim mods as their full time job, mm-hmm. and not have to worry about where their next meal was going to come from, and there would be like six Skyrim mods. More importantly, somebody could make <laughs> I don't know System Shock two mods. Like, oh, yeah. like somebody could take some. Somebody could just take it upon themselves to like modernize the like here's what I would do with with basic income. If I really didn't have to worry about it, I would figure out how to provide the Tron 2.0 experience to a modern audience. Nice. I would figure out how yeah. to make a cut of Tron 2.0 that was like playable by modern standards. That's probably not what I would do. But <laughs> yeah, I feel like you aren't necessarily bound by capitalism at this point right because you I just because I've been really lucky and also I mean I, I'm also imagining that I would have basic income but still have a staff which is <laughs> probably not what would happen in this case because everybody else would still just have their basic income uh, but you could assemble your staff not based on your ability to pay them but based on who else is excited yeah, about your ability idea. to inspire yeah. them to yeah. to like believe in a project that you want to collaborate on them with yeah which is yeah I mean you know, there ain't no utopia. Like, I'm sure that all of these things would have their own attendant problems. And I don't I don't necessarily agree with Ian Bogost that art, like, in the ideal case, needs to be completely separated from commerce because I feel like it has never been more intertwined than it is now and we have never had more awesome shit being made than we have now. So it's kind of like copyright law, like... I'm not seeing where the actual problem is. Except in the case of individual stories of people who, like, you know, get sued for putting Mickey Mouse on the door of their daycare or whatever. I also don't believe that that ever happened. People Uh, lost their jobs because of that Google 
April Fool's joke. Did, did they? <laughs> did, no. I don't believe that a single person lost a job because of that thing. I think what what I heard wasn't that somebody lost a job, is that they lost out on getting a job they were going to get because they fucked up their their emails to the interviewer or whatever. I feel as though if they were really going to get that job, that would not have made the difference. But anyway, that essay got everybody real riled up. I mean, there's a lot of people that just really want game developers to unionize. Which, I don't know how I feel about that. Because another point that the guy has is like, you know, it is kind of a luxury job and it's, no it's one very, yeah, no, no it, one who is a game developer couldn't go get another job that paid better if they didn't like well, it. Well, I mean, that's, that like, that's actually only true for programmers. Well, okay. I guess like a level designer. Yeah, like if you're a game designer and that's what you've been doing all your life, that like that's kind of hard to translate to other jobs. But that's like one guy at a, you know? It depends on the studio. Well, I mean... If you want to look at it this way, like if you're you're if what you've been doing all your life is lighting levels, or just or if you're a texture artist, like sure. tech, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Rigging 3D animations. I don't I don't know why when I think about when I think about like you know the EA spouse thing that it was just the engineers. I also actually kind of. I, I am conflicted about the sort of modern San Francisco programmers being referred to as engineers because that just feels like a, a status move that was allowed to work. How do you feel about people who drive trains? Yeah. <laughs> I call them train programmers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the people that are like particular hotshots hot don't stoop to the engineer level. They're like architects. Or Ooh, yeah, I'm a software like analyst. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a software visionary. What or uh, evangelists? <laughs> okay, Messiah. Hmm. <laughs> I am a proficient in Ruby and Python, but I can control any kind of snake with any kind of gem. <laughs> ah, solid, solid tweet. <laughs> I wish I knew who that was so that I could credit them, but I don't. It was just somebody that I think Riff retweeted. Yeah. Riff, you sound like you're in a well. Do I? Help Are you in a well? Help me! No. I mean, you don't sound yeah, like it to really the listeners. really low bit depth oh. well, specifically. Yeah, like a down well. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you guys been playing any video games? Mm, basically just Dark Souls 3. How's Do you that have going? any hot takes? Um, I think I think it was a mistake for them to put as much fan service in it as they did. It's it's yeah, I've been it's hearing that riddled with. What does that mean? Like all your favorite characters from Dark Souls One are back again. Hey, yay! Even though it's supposed to be set thousands of years later, and this doesn't make any fucking sense. Kind of things. Did you play Demon Souls? No. Okay, I'm curious. Like, I've heard similar things about how Dark Souls is almost a remake of Demon Souls, except that they they made it just different enough to not. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. That uh, yeah, because it was a change in publisher. Right, change in owner of the IP. 
There's there's a character. There's a monster in Dark Souls Three that is apparently a uh, a direct. Uh, uh, it's not the same monster as one in Demon Souls, but it's like on purpose evocative of that monster, just as a callback. But yeah, there's just, there's they they apparently took they they really took to heart all the the people that I'm going to describe as idiots who who bitch <laughs> the walls down about Dark Souls Two. And therefore, not only like there's like no mention apparently of of well, there's like a couple little references, but for the most part, it's like Dark Souls Two never happened, and not just in plot, but also in like gameplay and mechanical improvements that, in some cases, were serious improvements. And it it feels like a real mistake yeah. for them to have taken that step backwards, and then piled all this kind of. Gary decide, de, decided Gary described it as like they were doing their victory lap for the trilogy and and my point was that my the in agreeing him with him is that the big problem with that was that the trilogy isn't done yet until after the third game so the and victory really lap being, should be like the DLC <laughs> right and they're really only doing callbacks to the first game Right. Right. There it's well not... there's a couple. Like in 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 my game that I'm playing now, I'm wearing an armor set of a character in the second game, but it, it's by and large it's it's mostly the first game, yeah. Right. I, it's funny that I I had heard from people that, you know, they're they're well fro that they are going in many respects back to the design of the first Dark Souls, but they're not doing the thing that was maybe the most uh, significant change for me personally from one to two, which was um, the world design uh, not not being interconnected. Oh yeah, apparently it's, three is just pretty linear. It's a bit. It, it's mm, it is linear from area to area the way Dark Souls two is, but within an area, it the individual areas like turn back on themselves a fair amount, or at least. The place I'm in now, I'm still okay. fairly early in the game, but it's like I mean, Dark Souls Two had some of that too. But yeah, it's it's like linear from well, you know, the sentence that I just said. Go back and listen to that sentence again. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, not and none of this is to say that I don't think it's awesome. I mean, I'm loving it. Uh, I think I like Bloodborne better though. But well, I, I'm not going to make that decision for certain until I've finished it. I've heard there's some really awesome stuff at the nearer the end. But yeah, that's that's what I've been playing. What about you, Kevin? Uh, so I played a couple of games at at uh, ZapCon. ZapCon, April 16th to 17th, Mesa Convention Center, Mesa, Arizona. You missed it. <laughs> uh, ZapCon was really good. It was really good. There were a lot of games there this year. There were arcade oh. games that I had never heard of, which is a thing that had only ever happened to me at California Extreme before. I think some of the California and, Extreme contributors brought games oh, wow. to ZapCon. And this is after having gone to California Extreme. Mm -hmm. That's so true. What What's an example? There was a game called Bagman that I had never seen before. I think I've heard was, of that. It reminded me in the way that it played of the NES game Spelunker. 
to some extent, very unforgiving gravity. Right. Um, it was kind of dig duggy, but you teach me how to dig duggy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, there was a game called Magical Night Dreams Cotton Boomerang. Oh, yes. <laughs> you texted me a picture of that. <laughs> what even was it? It was, you were like a sexy anime witch riding on a broom. Um, so it was presumably just like a, like an ergot hallucination, right? That's the, <laughs> the uh, but no, it was just, it was just like a shmup. It was like a, like a weirdly like huge sprite shmup. And I, I only played it for a minute and the joystick was broken so that you could only move in three directions instead of four. So it was very, very not very effective. It's like Space Invaders, except <laughs> one extra direction. Yeah. <laughs> Like frog fractions, except <gasps> wow. Um, the <coughs> pardon me, Whoa. I got some kind of fucking plague. Mm. Drink this into submission. What did you play at Zapcon? Uh, I played a pretty amazing pinball game called The Hobbit. Did you it's, play that people, one? Like. What, so the, one of the guys that brings pinball machines to Zapcon bought thirty thousand dollars worth of pinball machines and had Whoa. them delivered to the venue. Huh. One of them was delivered to my house ahead of time. But Hobbit was is a ten thousand yes, dollar machine, a ten, brand new, what? a brand new pinball machine. Like the, most of the games that like so there are two companies manufacturing pinball machines now: Stern and Jersey Jack, and the pinball machines are in the five to ten thousand dollar range for a new one huh. at this point. Yeah, uh, the Hobbit was was apparently it was it's sort of geared towards more novice players. But as somebody who's not very good at pinball, I had a great time. Uh, that the, sounds good to me. Yeah, the shots, the like the ramp shots are totally accessible to me, and uh, the openings are wider. Than openings are wider, a, than and like the typical. Yeah, it just it just felt easier to control. Stuff would pop up on the battle, like on the field, and you could like try to hit it to like yeah damage sort of them a or whatever. Medieval Madness nod, like oh, the trolls nice. that pop up on Medieval Madness. There, there. This is like that, except there's just more of them, and yeah. they're orcs, not trolls. Maybe some of them are trolls. Yeah, I forgot I there's trolls in the Hobbit. The if you if you like get a ball up in the multi ball area, the uh, smog like turns it like there's a dragon head on the thing and it turns to you and talks and like its mouth opens and stuff yeah. it's like there's really the, cool the back stuff. glass is a monitor so like okay. all the game state is on like a like a good sized high-res monitor there is another element on the play field which That's is awesome a small monitor. monitor inside a book that i didn't mm. look at or know what was going on there yeah uh the Did top glass is like is has is like super anti-glare coded so that uh it doesn't even look like there's yeah, it glass. It looks like there's oh, no glass nice. on it. It really looks like you could just reach in and grab it. Except then it's like, well, Got all now the it just looks like there's fingerprints, yeah. fingerprints <laughs> just floating in space. From people who tried. Yeah. Uh, it, but just it was just super satisfying. Very, very, very well sort of honed. And lots of, you know, t- of course, tons and tons and tons of um, movie clips played when you would do things. And yeah. Thank you to Mark, whose last name I don't know. But... Uh, yeah. who is just one of the big pinball contributors to, to Zapcon. Cause like that was nuts. It's like, it, it's it, become it, enough of a thing that somebody uses as an excuse to buy $30,000. And, like, and then those yeah. games exist in Arizona and get played, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is there such a thing as a pinball cabinet that's just a giant monitor that you could load, like, Zen pinball yes. into or something? Yeah, I've, yeah, seen, I've seen that at California Extreme. Hmm. I mean, it's just basically like a TV on its side, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. TVs are that big nowadays. I think it might have actually been Zen pinball branded. Huh. Yeah. you got to come to California Extreme one of these years, Riff. I think yeah, that I you would. Should. I think that you would like it. It's... Yeah, it's not like the Portland Retro Games Expo at not, all. Not at all. It's like if you took the little arcade area of that and multiplied and it made out it by, the whole thing. by yeah. 100. Yeah, it <laughs> didn't really have any vendor booths. Like, And then I played, you know, just a bunch of stuff that I, I have played in the past and liked Bosconian. Yeah, you love Bosconian. Such a good, such a good game. It's really good. It's really, like, just solid, very, like, replayable. I, uh... I, I just sort of spent a bunch of time just sort of tooling around, not trying to win or get a high score, just sort of thinking about how the game design was handled. Like it, you know, you can shoot in eight different, you can move and shoot in eight different directions, which is, I, I agree is just sort of a good number of like degrees of freedom. Well, cause yeah, it's not, it's not totally analog. Right. So you like, but, but you have, so the constraints are good in terms of like, oh, I've got to like line up in the right lane to like mm. shoot this thing. Um, what, how do you feel about, um, Robotron? No, I'm thinking what's, oh, I, how can I, Sinistar. Sinistar always felt, I guess, cause that's Sinistar got like, felt, what, like 32 directions 32 or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like time pilot was it was a similar vintage game time pilot felt very easy and sinistar felt very hard and i think that's just because time pilot was way easier than sinistar yeah. <laughs> like sinistar moves really fast like just mm. the game it just seems like it has like a fast frame rate and enemies move quickly and it's like just real chaotic did, did those games have dials as the controller no, I think, I think it was. I think just Sinistar a, did. Sinistar used the same sort of dial that. Um, that Tron. If I'm did? not, if no, uh, Tempest. I think. Oh yeah. Huh. I do not remember that. I no. might I be I wrong, vaguely remember but Sinistar I think so. An alternative control set. Huh. Um, so one of the other things that they, that Bosconian does is uh, rewards sort of careful, skillful play, right? So they're like. There's the bases which you have to destroy, which have six sort of nodules, which are also the guns shooting at you. So you can, if you destroy all six of those, you blow the base up, or you can just sort of shoot directly into the center of it um, and blow it up when it's exposed. But you get fewer points if you do that. So the the if you're trying to get higher higher point totals, you want to destroy the bases slowly. Right, which means you have to like sort of orbit around them and yeah. spend more time dealing with the like random wandering spaceship bad guy threats. Yeah, and then and similarly they have like there's there's spaceships coming in from all sides sort of all the time, but occasionally they're like starting at one of the the bases a a formation will launch and it's five ships, one of which is sort of the like leadership if you blow up the leadership the other the squadron sort of uh they all fly sort of off um and you only get bonus you get like a big bonus if you can kill all the ships in the formation and so what you what you want to do is pick off all the right subsidiary yeah Yeah. and it's hard because they're you're i mean that's just kind of ripped off from galaxian right because like is that, that yeah you get a big score bonus on the with the ships that can capture you 
they, that fly down in formation. Oh, huh. If you if you destroy all of them before you in the right order, you get a point. Bonus. I didn't. I did not realize that there was that scoring bonus there. But just like like lots of little things like that that all come together to make it really compelling. Like it, like the score is the the interesting metric, and it is a lot of fun trying to figure out how to like maximize that in the amount of time you have before the game gets too frenetic. Because I, I don't think the levels they don't ever force you to to advance from level to level, but the they just keep sending more and more enemies at you until you eventually get overwhelmed. Um, so yeah, just super satisfying. Um, those, that's all like, there was also like a, a guy made a cabinet that was Zapcon the game yeah. and it was all it was pretty, of, it was pretty good. It was pretty I good. I want to talk to that guy and see, like, I don't know if he made it in game maker or yeah, I don't know. There was like a spy hunter sort of inspired one, it was, which it was about, it was a bunch of classic games presented in a Tron menu like you you got the Tron maze and you would go in one of four directions and it was like all right now you are this guy trying to bring his snacks and Jackson machine to Zapcon <laughs> there was not a snacks and Jackson machine at Zapcon which because right. no one succeeded at that minigame yeah but that, like that one was just like it's spy hunter except you're towing a trailer and it's got some momentum <laughs> I, that's that, really cool it yeah you yeah. Not, if, if they hit your hit the trailer they do damage to the trailer but you can like use your car to knock them off the off the road and built an arcade cabinet for yeah it. like yeah. it's and and the i played that one and i played one where it was basically frogger where you can get you your cabinet across the you street were pushing a frogger cabinet across a frogger <laughs> yeah. level to, so hard to, to, yeah it's really fucking hard <laughs> the difficulty like, on that one frogger was tuned Sokoban. that's a really good idea yeah. it's really tough <laughs> There's we're getting some weird custom games. God, the one the one game from Zapcon that I want to talk oh, about yeah. is the weirdest fucking thing. The, the so, Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles the game. The, I need to I need to just track this guy's website down. So so this guy made a game. Steven Day. Day is his name. And yeah. it is I almost like don't want to talk about this because I feel like it's ruined somehow if anyone knows about it. He <laughs> he is a guy that works as and sorry, on the off chance that you're listening, Stephen, I like I'm probably going to say some critical things about your games, but I'm so in love with everything that you're doing. I, I want you to know that. Uh he works as an IT guy for one of the Native American tribes in Arizona. And it's like, my sense is that it is an organization of maybe 30 people with like five computers. So they need an IT guy, but that IT guy needs to work like one minute a day. And so what he does with the rest of his time is he just makes weird fucking games in JavaScript, like the kinds that you would make if you just had never seen anything else. Like Candybox. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Like, I... I was going to ask him if he had played Frog Fractions, <laughs> but then I was like, no, I actually shouldn't because like the thing that he brings to Zapcon next year will probably be better and more original if he doesn't yeah. see that. Yeah. And and I mean I, like I'm pretending like this guy like doesn't have access to the internet. Like it, it, this is this ridiculous fantasy that I've built up in my head about where these things come from. The the first time he he built a like a cocktail table that was a game 
that was called Anakmore Pac-Man, which Anakmore is the tribe that he works for. And it was just a Pac-Man clone that he had made in JavaScript, but that had some like power-ups. I think we talked about it on the podcast last year. I don't year. remember. It just had some power-ups that were sort of themed after some elements of the tribal mythology. So it very much felt like a... I don't know, like a like an NEA grant kind of game that you would make as as like an educational thing. But and I was like, well, okay, I, he's brought another game. I'm curious what it's going to be like, expecting it to be some like lofty thing. But it was a game called Fruity Pebbles: The Game. And the first thing that happens is you start you start a game, and it just plays in its entirety the the. Fruity Pebbles commercial where Barney walks in and says, I'm the master rapper and I'm here to say I love Fruity Pebbles in a major way. Like, just plays that. And then the rest of the game is your Fred and you can play co-op. You're just a, you're just like a, a, a sort of 8-bit drawn Fred Flintstone sprite with your arms, arms making are, fists just yeah. pinwheeling around constantly. And just hundreds of Barney sprites come at you all playing the same sound clip when they spawn. So it, it, it just becomes this, like, cacophonous, like... It, it sounds just, really good. It's just, like, if... It's amazing. If if that Fruity Pebbles rap commercial was your least favorite thing in the world and you went to hell, <laughs> this is what this is what it would be. And so, the, the, like, you do that... The, like, you there's the level where it's just a bunch of those coming in and then there's a, the second level... It changes things up slightly, and I don't remember exactly how. And then the third level, it's there's suddenly gravity, and you're on top of a platform, and there's lava underneath you, and there's a giant Barney that comes out of the lava, and you have to deflect other Barneys that are raining from the sky into that Barney <laughs> to reduce its like boss health meter. Wow. And then you finally get a bowl of cereal. <laughs> in the ending cutscene, which is just the entire Flintstones theme song played out as you like walk back to your house, and then you just put the bowl on the sink where Wilma's doing the dishes, and then the game ends. <laughs> Good, and it's mm. <laughs> like it's not actually that fun. And it's not like a good game. There's no <laughs> fail state, and there's nothing like the, other than like it just being absurd on its surface. It doesn't really go anywhere, you know. I, I, I don't. But need it's any that said, like people were playing it the whole weekend. Yeah, it. it, it it's, mm, it's compelling. It's 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 like the Wesley Willis of video games. It's, <laughs> like good man. I'm guessing that you can just play this online. Like, the thing is, if there was a little more to this, it would, like, sweep the your, like, Bennett Foddies and your... Like, yeah. if, if it had just had, like, one, like, serious idea in it, like, one thing that it was trying to say, but I love that it just didn't have anything to say presumably I mean maybe I'm just not getting it and Stephen Day is real sad but there was also a competitive there's a there's a versus mode which is just sort of it's very badly balanced but the, you're 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 both you're two Freds on either side of a line and it keeps spawning in Barney's and also just rocks and they both have the same sort of physics. Whenever you hit them, they just gain momentum away from you and they'll bounce off the walls and the rocks will kill a Fred and the Barneys are just points. 
and the rocks like stun you, preventing you from scoring points for a while. So that is that's actually a pretty good game, except that it's like it will spawn rocks in places where you cannot make them move without being guaranteed to hit yourself with them. Like it doesn't like not spawn them close to walls and stuff. Like there's just some like kind of polished things that are. I guess they just become obstacles. I mean, maybe there's more. Yeah, anyway, Fruity Pebbles of the game. I'm going to try to find a link to the to the website where you can also play. Because they're just JavaScript games. He like, won the Altered Beast cabinet. Yeah, he also just he won the raffle. So he got <laughs> he got this like Altered Beast cabinet that, that Wes, the animator, fixed up. I wonder the, if that's going to have an impact on what next year's contributor game Contributor giveaway. Oh, yeah, that's man. Good. That's good. Like, Anok more Altered Beast. I was thinking about what you said about how you kind of want this guy to not have influences. Um... Because the success of Candy Box led to that creator making a sequel that was basically the exact same game but bigger. Um, which I thought was really not, which was kind of sad. Um, and I think a lot of it, like that, 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 that happened was due to the first game being very, created very naively and come by very, like, honest and not with any intent to do anything in particular. And the second game was the intent to capitalize on replicate the first game's experience. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like, if this guy ever hits it big, then you should tell him about frog fractions. Right. Hmm. Right. To try to fuck him up so that it doesn't, (laughs) so that he doesn't just like make another more video gamey version of the first thing. Right. Or the other thing you could do is just like, just talk to him about philosophically where it would be interesting for him to take his games. Like if you want the, I mean, you said you loved that it didn't have anything to say, but um, if you want him to, to create those sorts of games that are going to sweep the foddies, so to speak, um, Then, um, I need you to sweep the foddy. I'll be, but I'll be disqualified. <laughs> Good. Um, then you, like, you, you don't necessarily like show him games, but you just have philosophical conversations about the sorts of things he could be doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I also played this NES game that I guess, uh, Rachel had bought specifically as a joke for the, for the, the console lounge got real this year more. So, I mean, last year it was pretty real. This year we had a super Nintendo. That's true. <laughs> That's crazy. That shit is getting really expensive in a way that I did not anticipate. Like when I, I feel like 10 years ago, you could buy a super Nintendo for like 10 bucks. At, oh yeah. At this, a used this is something that's, and, like, that's been a, like a major difference between like 10 now and like 15 years ago is that, 15 years ago, it was like buying retro games was something you did because you couldn't afford the new games. Right. And uh, now you do it because you're a collector and, and the, they yeah. are more rare. And Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it benefits me because it means that the stuff that I own is more valuable than it would right. have been. Like, I, you know, I bought a lot of garbage in 2001 that is now very expensive. Right. Um, but... Uh, it was this NES game called Wall Street Kid. Oh yeah, mm. I had that as a kid. Really? Yeah. Huh? How did that happen? I, I don't know, but I suspect it was my dad trying to turn me into a tiny capitalist. <laughs> okay. 
a lower casist. Right. And, and, and maybe a real misogynist, too. Uh, it's... I, yeah. It's definitely got, like, girlfriend as demand timer uh-huh. uh, oh, as whoa. a mechanic. So you, the premise is you are a kid whose uncle dies and he wants you to take over his investment banker fortune, but you have, like, a test set out before you. You're given $500,000 and you have, like, X amount of time to turn it into enough money to like impress the other rich people you have to buy the like the buy you have the to mansion. buy a house and then you have to buy a bunch of other stuff later but like that buying the house is kind of the tutorial thing but there's there's like a secret health meter if you don't spend enough time going to swimming and hiking and going to the gym you eventually get too greedy and lose which i don't know what that is so is this like and a then, weird lemonade stand it is yeah it's okay. very very like it's it's i mean it's dope wars it's like oh, Dope okay. Wars, the NES game. Um, Wall Street Kid. Yeah. And it's... There's also, like, the girlfriend that you ever... It starts out as your fiancé. And it's like, the way the first week ends is she's like, I really would like a dog. And then you have to go to the dog store and you can either buy the $2,500 dog or the $500 dog. And, like, if you don't buy her enough stuff... And if you don't, like, spend the right amount of time with her during the week, which is time that you could be spending buying and selling stocks, then she will leave you and you also lose the game. Those are those that how much your girlfriend likes you is an invisible meter. How healthy you are is an invisible meter. The only thing that you know is the the money that you have. It's just really cumbersome menu driven stuff. That's it. Like the text renders real slow. I wanted to keep playing it but I kind of like lost patience after the first time I lost a game by not successfully doubling my money within a month and being able to buy the ancestral mansion right which only costs a million dollars which is how you can tell this game was made in the 80s a <laughs> <laughs> oh, million dollars that's an it's an insane amount of money for a house right I now, mean now that's there an insane amount of money for a house in most places now I there guess. are billboards the yeah Housing in, the, housing in, in the, the low millions. millions. Yeah. 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 Those are the video games that I played. Jim. I played some Bloodborne. Nice. Um Did you are you playing Dark Souls 3? I, I played it today. It was Budborn, am I, I right? <laughs> Lol. I played actually uh I got Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 pretty much the same time, which is just like super dumb that's a lot of game <laughs> and i played each of them basically up through the first boss um and uh bloodborne was definitely like it's an inter- interesting comparison because dark souls 3 I, I definitely felt immediately comfortable with the mechanics and bloodborne is super different even though the controls are pretty much all the same just mm-hmm. like the what you have, the way you need to behave is very different. Yeah, you're a lot more aggressive. Is what you yeah. what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it took a long time to um, for me to get accustomed to that. And I spent probably like two hours, not not really like just bouncing off of the first uh, area, Central Yarnum, and then I uh, restarted with the. Um, the uh, the axe weapon. Okay. Mm. So, what uh, was the first one you picked? Well, so I've done the, I've I've done all three now. Okay. Uh, at at PAX uh, in the free play room, I played for an hour with the uh, 
the threaded cane. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking it was fine, but like the 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 difference between the the saw cleaver and the uh, axe that I can't remember the name of um, was pretty enormous. Yeah. I, I think the the I think it really is like a secret difficulty selector. The um, uh, when I when I originally ricocheted off of that game, it was because I, I feel like it was because I picked threaded cane, and then yeah. when, when I went back to it again and took the saw, it was like a whole new world. Right. I, I feel like it's like your your choices are like the saw if you prefer like a sort of dodgy sort of game like if you play a dex character in uh in souls and yeah. then the axe if you play like a burly strength character in souls and then just the the cane is if you got tricked into picking the garbage weapon <laughs> <laughs> right uh, and after I restarted with the axe, I I actually cleared out. Not pro- I I want to say the entire first area, but I, what I mean is everything through the through end, including the cleric beast in one life. Nice. So I feel really my my epeen doubled in <laughs> size that day. After like after immediately after having in size over the previous two hours, so it's a wash. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. I like it a lot. I, I think I like it more than Dark Souls Three, just because it's it feels new. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Three is really retreading old territory. Yeah. In a way that, like, significantly to its detriment. I mean, it's it's comfortable old territory, but, but right, yeah. Despite that. Yeah. Um. I was looking back through to see if I ever linked to that Onokmore Pac-Man in the in the games list, but I apparently didn't. I can find a YouTube. I can uh, the only thing that I can find on the internet about Fruity Pebbles the game is a let's play of it in its entirety, and no link to it. Hmm. That's that's actually <clears throat> yeah, pretty good. Honestly, yeah. like I just watched that. That would be fine. Yeah, no, it would be. Um, it, oh, also, it was running on a. PC that he had built in a Nintendo case, like in an NES. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, and with NES controllers. That is cool. And I played um, Broforce again this time with four players, and amazing. It's it's a great four player game. A very uh, just very slapstick and chaotic, and like I played it a little bit after afterwards just to compare the single player experience, and it really is like just. Being able to, it's it's so much less chaotic and like I I really feel like the 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 enemy behaviors and the explosive behaviors behaviors are tuned to be like interesting at the kind of level of chaos and uh, that that a four player game runs at, and if you play it as one player, you can anticipate everything and it's just not nearly as as interesting like things are happening because you because you did them. As opposed to things happening to you. Mm. Well, that makes sense. I mean, we only played it single player. We never did any multiplayer. And I mean, I remember thinking it was fine. I remember like Castle Crashers was okay as a single player game, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. In a group of three or four people. Oh, the Behemoth announced a new game. Oh, did they? Yeah. 
I can't tell. It, as, like, as did uh, Supergiant. Super yeah, like Pyre, I have no idea what kind of game it is. What is it's the name of the new Behemoth game? Pit People. <laughs> okay. And it, like, all of the gameplay screenshots are things moving around on a hex grid, but I can't tell if it's real time or not. Pyre, okay. I can't tell if it's real time or not. Like, I, I listened to, like... Jeff Gersman had played it and talked about it on the Giant Bombcast, and I just kept drifting off. Like, I am really interested in this game, but somehow I listened twice to his description of it, and I still have no idea how it plays. I guess it would be really hard to describe Transistor. I got the sense that it was Transistor-ish, but with you controlling three characters instead of one, somehow... Hmm. Yeah, apparently there are... It's not like you can swap between turn-based and real-time, but you have some things that happen turn-based, and then there's a real-time bit. Okay. I don't know. That's weird. It's it's kind of like a sport. Oh, weird. Like, there's you're just playing these matches where it's like not like kill everybody, it's more of like a capture the flag kind of... The battle okay. thing where you're just trying to, your goal is to put out their fire and you can like do that like brute force or sneaky. I don't know. Huh. I don't know, man. I think it looks like the banner saga in a way that makes me kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the dialogue bits seemed very odd. In the trailer at least. I mean, I trust them to make something interesting, even oh, if yeah. it's not interesting to me. Like, I did not love Bastion, but I really like Transistor, which I think it puts me in a minority. But they're—I love their visual design. Yeah, it's very different every time. Yeah, which is commendable. Yeah. It was interesting hearing people talking about Transistor again, because it mm. kind of was anticipated and then came and went. You know, and I, I get the sense that it didn't do nearly as well as Bastion did. I don't know. But Yeah, you know, it must have done okay. Or Bastion did so well that that it floated the studio for another game. But Man, remember Transistor? Mm-hmm. I should play that again. We could make it the assignment again, then I would play it. <laughs> mm. Did we do it as an assignment? I believe so. I don't know, I have this thing up. What if I search for Transistor. Yes. Assignment one or episode one fifty four, meaty segment fault. <laughs> Assignment was transistor. And there's also a game in the game list called Melky's Star, which I don't know what that means. And it was weird when I was trying to do some code thing using our games list. It is not anything. It is a joke from that episode that I don't remember what the joke was. Riff, Melky's star, what does it mean to you? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't get it either. Right in, listeners. Do you guys want to talk about this assignment, Factorio? Sure. Are we, did we do listener? No, I forgot to. We can do it at the end. Okay. Oh, wow. Like a classic. Gosh, yeah. Changing it up. <laughs> Factorio. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great game for somebody other than me. Mm, I was pretty disappointed because I feel like uh, it was the sort of thing that I I came into it expecting to really like it because, like in my Minecraft world, I've got numerous like 
automated resource farms that that you know knock out resources and drop them into conveyor belts of water that funnel it into mine carts and then the mine carts automatically shoot down the tracks to the warehouse and automatically file all the items into their respective chests for me and uh and it's great and i love doing that kind of thing but the difference between that and this well the two differences is that the the fun part in the minecraft thing is in making the machines that that do the labor and not in laying the conveyor belts and minecart tracks where in whereas in this it seems like that's kind of all you get because all the machines are free are prefabs and then the second thing is that in minecraft all that stuff is in service of freeing me from not having to gather resources myself so that I can go adventuring or building instead, whereas in this, there's nothing else. Yeah, I didn't exactly understand what the point of anything was. It was like, oh, I can research more science to get better versions of the things that I already have. You can research better cocaine so that you can work harder to make more cocaine. Yeah. The the tutorial had gave you goals. So like presumably there's going to be, I mean, there is there in the, in the free play. Yeah. The, I ended up doing the free play because the, the tutorial killing me while I was still trying to figure out how robot arms work pissed me off. So yeah. I went to free play and turned off enemies and, and it does give you the goal of building a rocket and escaping the planet. But yeah, <sighs> I, there's definitely pleasure in laying out, um, a functional machine like our network of machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the figuring out how to most efficiently build the thing that you're trying to do instead of having to do anything manually. Right. Right. But having to keep everything fueled is where it really falls apart for me. Can you... The electricity does that, though. Can you, like, have conveyor belts fueling the machines? You can for the sure. coal-powered stuff, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the part of the tutorial where you end up building, like, water turbines or whatever, like, that sort of makes it sustainable, but... It, it was interesting that one of your sort of criticisms of it was that once you finished the tutorial and started the campaign that it just started you off with this like way complicated machine which I actually appreciated because I feel like their assumption was you theoretically already know how to do this we're just going to start you off with this so that you don't have to bother and so you can just start working on the next tier of stuff Mm. Uh, which I thought was actually a a super friendly approach if the tutorial had gotten you 5% of the way towards that first campaign level machine I think I would have felt differently about it it was just like this overwhelming it was but it was just more of what you've already done right like it was just like here's here's instead of just having one engine like one electrical engine or steam engine you have 20 right I honestly the main reason that I bounced off of this is because I just despise the way that it looks it's got that like 640 by 480 era graphical style that I associate with like late 90s like shovelware RTSs. Eight, like 8 bit palette, pre rendered 3D. Just, yeah, thing. like dithered, just dithered. Yep. Th- like, ugh, I hate it. I just hate the way that this looks. 
The only people, the only company that ever made good-looking games in that resolution were Blizzard. And it was because they just made everything all cartoony and exaggerated and, like, treated it like a like a medium for making art rather than a medium for representing reality, which is what everything else seemed to be doing. Like, I never got into Civ 2 because it's just disgusting looking. <laughs> I, I loved Civ 1. I love the way Civ 1 looks. Civ 2, I'm sure, is a better game, but bleh. Oh, uh, also Master of Orion 2. Master of Orion 2 was in 640 by 480 but looked really, really nice. Just had good art. I feel like if I were to play a game where I was building machines, there are a lot of other options that I would play first. Like the Incredible Machine? I was actually thinking Infinifactory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Infinifactory uh, having, having like very specific, very different goals each level yeah. was so much more satisfying to me than just always having to progress up a tech tree. Right. But um, the reason I'm not playing those games is that I already program for a living. <laughs> so, like, that that itch is scratched. Did you guys see the, the game where you were writing, like, assembly op codes to draw, uh, draw to match pixel art? This no. was like a, a browser game made in Unity that... Like the left hand side of the screen was just like a he- was like a hex editor. Um, I I, I, th- I think you weren't actually writing the assembly like mnemonics. I think you were actually writing it in hex, and it would translate them to the mnemonics to the right of what you were typing. Um, and then you could execute the. It was like a they, this guy invented a CPU, and gave you a frame buffer, and gave you a frame buffer you were trying to match, uh-huh. and then you were supposed to write a program that would draw. Uh, into the frame buffer what you were trying to the, the image you were trying to match and it just got like more and more complicated what you were trying to replicate and you it would measure you on like how how many opcodes it took for you to solve the problem and how many CPU cycles it took for you to solve the problem and that was the that was the sort of thing that like when yeah when I was 15 I would have been super <laughs> into that <laughs> and now you're like uh yeah, more programming. Too, too close to home. Yeah. So you didn't like Factorio because it's too close to your your day job at the factory. Um, uh, more well, there's that, but also like that's also why I didn't like Space Chem hmm. or Infinifactory or any of these other games that I would probably play first. But I like I at the time I spent with it, like I could definitely see like, oh yeah, this is there's there's definitely a pleasure in like building up this infrastructure. It's it's just it's an abstraction for algorithms, right? Like Yeah. Which is figuring out good algorithm is is very satisfying. Yeah. The the part I mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, um about like the, the rats coming up and biting you, like that's I, I think that's a that's pretty bad UX. Like the reason I died both times was that, like, you can't shoot while you're you've got, like, while you're trying to lay down an, an item. Oh, right, because in your hand or whatever. And like, yeah, the UI was really confusing. Like the the way you put you deselect the item is by clicking on your toolbar. Right. So you've got to move the mouse over to there and click on the toolbar, and then you can shoot. I think is how you do it, and like, I just couldn't do it in time. I don't know why. 
the combat needs to be so arcadey in this infrastructure building it's game. It's not even really like it. You just press space and your guy shoots at the nearest thing. It's yeah. like not even. It's just like a make sure you're paying attention test. It's not yeah. even. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's no. There's not like. There's. I mean, I guess you have to prepare, right? You have to like have. And presumably in free player and later campaign modes, like it sends progressively more difficult enemies. Yeah. After oh you. yeah, and there's there's huge hunks of tech tree that are different kinds of armor and guns and ammunition. But I feel like you, somebody who's into a game like this is, for the most part, not the same people who are into an elaborate combat sim. Well, I also I, can't imagine the person who ever who wants disasters turned on in Sim City. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is true. I had just assumed that it would eventually become a tower defense game, but it sounds like you just get better weapons that you hold. You, yeah. you also build towers to to Turrets, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I mean, in Minecraft, the enemies are what makes it real. The like mm-hmm. creepers are what gives the game stakes. Sure. And it makes the things that you build valuable because there is a clear and present threat to them this doesn't like since the monsters in this only ever attack you no they attack your structure do they attack your stuff yeah no. they'll attack guns at the, they'll attack the the turrets at the least hmm. anything anything that is shooting them I think they will attack well yeah it it didn't it did not hit the the nerve that I was afraid it was going to, so that's great for me. <laughs> I think if there had been more puzzle level, like if the, oh, yeah. the levels had been shorter and been puzzles, you would have gotten really into it. But and maybe eventually they will be. I'm trying to think of like Creeper World. It, it's not like this in a lot of ways, but it reminds me like the you know the graphics are very sort of representational and not not particularly like attractive and you are having to do the same kinds of things over and over again, but it's somehow very satisfying in a way that this wasn't like the like visceral goal of like beating back the creeper was, is so much more satisfying And this. Like you have the occasional waves of, of enemies or whatever, but like the real goal is like produce enough science to get done with whatever you're trying to find. Yeah, it just didn't just didn't compel me in the same way. I wonder if there's a Creeper World four yet. Hmm. Did you ever play Creeper World, Jim? No, I've never even heard of it. Actually, it's this oddball series of it's real time strategy, I guess. Yeah, the studio title card is the worst. It's like Ugh, knuckle, Jesus Christ, yeah, knuckle, knuckle cracker. cracker, and it's just like a couple of bones that pull apart Pop. and make a cracking sound. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was good. just thinking about how like I I have to like turn away from the title card. Yep. Like I will mute the computer during the title card. Yep. Branding. Yeah. Yep. Man. <laughs> um, but, I, but I remember the studio name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's our next assignment? Oh, we're going to play Steven's Sausage Roll. Okay. Yeah. Which is... Boy, I don't. I think I already hate this game. Oh. Um, it's expensive, and it's like... Super hard. It is the... I was, I was telling these guys at dinner, I feel like it's like the 
super difficult Mario Maker level of Sokoban. Mm. Hmm. Riff, you were playing this too, right? Yeah, I... Have you solved any puzzles? I solved one. I... All right, we're, we're in the clear, guys. We can talk about a puzzle solution next week. <laughs> I'm not sure... Because it uh, removes the puzzles from the from the board after you've solved it, so I don't remember what it was named or anything. No. But yes, I did confirm that there is at least one puzzle on that first island that does have a solution. Good. Yeah, so it's a puzzle game. It's like Sokoban, except with a twist. And it's $30. Sausageban. I mean, it's great that it's $30. Like, it's... I am I am a fan of like developers sort of pushing back against the drive to to the bottom. Yeah. Now that now that Patreon is paying for this game, I I also think it's a great idea for him to charge thirty dollars. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. Speaking of listeners, do you want to listen to some mail from them? Yes. Durdrum writes. When Zach holds up Robotron as an example of ideal aiming, I wonder how he might like Gunsmoke for the NES. It could make a good assignment during this Wild West kick. The game auto-scrolls the screen up, but you can move anywhere within the screen. Pressing B shoots about 30 degrees to the left, but the bullets spread apart some as they get further from you. Pressing A mirrors this to the right, pressing both aims straight ahead with parallel shots. If you play use a turbo, it's identical to the machine gun power-up. I believe that I have played all the way through NES Gunsmoke on an emulator. In the arcade version... I played a bunch of Galloping Ghost, I think. Gunsmoke, like, is... It's basically a shmup, except themed like a... Yeah. It's weird. Like, a, like you're on the ground, which you never are in a shmup. Yeah. Um, there's power-ups inside barrels. Yeah. Oh, where, what else would you put in there? Speed cowboy boots. You can get on a horse, which I think is just an extra hit point. Right. Like, the horse gets shot out from under you. Um, does that stack with the speed boots? The also yeah, the, had that the horse wears it. the boots. Good. <laughs> you need I to pick up the boots twice before yeah, they, you can. <laughs> I remember thinking that the wanted posters are sometimes the name of the person that's the boss, and sometimes the name of the person and the weapon that they use. I I feel like maybe I've played this. Do 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 like guys pop up? Uh, on buildings and yeah. behind stuff. And sort of shooting your way through a town. Yeah, shit. Okay, right. So the first one is, it's Bandit Bill Rifle. So it's like, <laughs> I think, I, oh, that's just a guy named Bandit Bill Rifle. And then there's Cutter Boomerang, which that just sounds like a guy's name, but he's just a guy named Cutter and he uses a boomerang. And then there is Devil Hawk Fireball. And then there is Ninja Darts. <laughs> Which his name is Ninja and his weapon is Darts. But uh and then Fat Man Joe Bomb Gun. <laughs> and uh Winget Machine Gun. And I think Winget is like a family name. Hmm. It, it starts out with him saying, Go get the Wingets. Or the Wingates. I don't know. The Wingate? I... <laughs> Let's just Google Wingate. No, Wingate Hotels. Okay, there's some There's some right here in San Francisco. All right, let's go stay there and ask them what they know about gun.smoke. 
are you are you friends with ninja darts is he as cool <laughs> thing as he seems yeah is ninja oh he's probably pretending to have a like a different name so that he's not like hounded by paparazzi <laughs> right uh, Horatio Pagani says, Hey, podcast crew, longtime listener, first time Wheeler here. I'm curious what you guys think of Steam Greenlight slash early access games in general right now. Has it done more good for gaming than bad? Thanks, your boy Horatio Pagani. Oh, I think it's absolutely done more good than bad. There are a lot more games on Steam. There are. I don't tend to buy early access games because it's either a thing where I want the whole complete experience of it if it's a game that I'm excited about and so I don't want to sort of Playing a game in early access is a lot like work. Right. When your work is making video games. So you're like <laughs> constantly seeing video games that are half done and like recognizing that they're not like that's work and not like a fun thing to do. Although often, I mean, I guess Infinifactory was early access and it was just the first two thirds of the campaign complete experience, right? So have there been like notable green light successes like have there been games that came out of nowhere were green lit and then oh. went on to be very successful on steam hmm because i know that happens with kickstarters but i was gonna say early access was uh crypto the necrodancer yeah okay but green light i'm not as sure i mean green light gives us a way as people who don't have a lot of connections to get a game on steam right which that's exciting because that means that we'll be able to sell West of Loathing on Steam, which we just... I mean, maybe now we could have pulled some strings, but certainly a couple of years ago we wouldn't have been able to. Right. Jim, you probably got buddies at Steam. I could definitely pull some strings. You get your finger on the pulse of all the strings. Yes. The, and the ones that I don't directly touch, I have friends who are touching them. It's all very gross. Let's get Fruity Pebbles <laughs> the game on Steam. Okay. It's Sell it for $30. What? It's better than Steven's sausage roll. I think uh, what Hanna-Barbera or whatever might have a a couple of complaints at that point. You spell it F-R-O-O-T-Y, pebbles. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not real fruit. Yeah, and who would sue him? Would it be Hanna-Barbera or General Mills? Yeah. <laughs> Class action. Uh, let's see. Zenith says, so happy that you guys called out JRPGs for overlooking the design lessons of Chrono Trigger. I cling to this painful childhood memory of thinking it would change everything Square did going forward. Total mystery, considering how well it sold, too. And it certainly had its influences in other RPGs, just not the, like, mainline Square ones, which, you know, also, like, my understanding is that the Japanese RPG market is just super into real grindy games like I know everybody talked about Bravely Default like it was this amazing thing but man it was just like transparently bad <laughs> like it I, the way people like talked just, about it it didn't sound that grindy to me but well it was grindy it was just you could fast forward that like you could basically yeah. program your dudes and then hold down a button to just do a thousand fights in a row that it just like played out in super fast motion it was like what it, like how about just not doing that? Like <laughs> that would be another way of like acknowledging that that like ah man it was weird. I just didn't get it. 
so is the is the title bravely default like a reference to like how you're gonna fight and then setting yeah, up a new option your your moves are like to def- what was it? It was like to default is to skip your move, but save that turn so that you can double up next time and make two actions that turn. And I then see. like braving is to steal turns from the future. Something like that. Huh. They're like Ziggy. Yeah. Running on the analytical engine in 1611. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I... I can't not think of Ziggy the cartoon. Oh yeah, the comic strip. <laughs> like, Z- like what if, what if Shakespeare had read Ziggy before he made all of his plays? What if he did? Oh, what if like there was a reverse? Somebody built a reverse time capsule. And this put is a the Ziggy, one piece of art we send back in time. Put a Ziggy page a day calendar in it, <laughs> in like the primer machine, and it's like, all right, this will surely that and Family Circus. This will surely change something. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it creates Shakespeare so you're like oh cool we live in this world of all the worlds that this experiment was done on yeah wow well thanks I can't think of the name of the guy who draws Ziggy <laughs> me either it is so hard for me to imagine that being a human being who lives in the same <laughs> world that I do <laughs> I, I bet he's dead What's- <laughs> Research time. Yeah, research time. Uh, I just Googled the word Wikipedia, guys. <laughs> uh, all right, Ziggy is on Go Comics. Ziggy comic strip. It was created by Tom Wilson, a former American Greetings executive. So does that mean Whoa. he was an American Greetings executive and now he's a former person? He died in 2011 at age 80. Is he wearing a coonskin cap in that photo? No, that's his hair. Oh. <laughs> Shit. It might not be his real hair. He made his mark in animation with the 1982 Emmy Award-winning Christmas special Ziggy's Gift, which was released on VHS video in 2002 and DVD in 2005. Emmy Award-winning? He was Yeah. Yeah, he won an Emmy. He was a survivor of lung cancer. Not anymore. He drew it from 71 to 87, and then it was continued by his son, Tom Wilson Jr. It's a real family circus up in here. Oh, jeez. It's a it's a family circus, a family circus-style family circus. So what's happening with Ziggy? Tom Wilson Jr. does not rate his own Wikipedia article, though. He's not as important as the least important Pokemon. He doesn't have as cool a <laughs> hair as the least important Pokemon. Or Tom Wilson Sr. Oh, boy. Ziggy. Every once in a while, there was a Garfield that was kind of funny. I don't think there was ever a Ziggy that was funny at all, and I don't think there was ever a family circus that was even tolerable. Early Garfield was actually pretty good. Like, I remember reading, like, this was a couple of years ago, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like I have to trust teenage Jim to have good taste here, but I remember seeing some of the really early collections um, and and being pretty entertained by it. Do you remember anything funny ever happening in Ziggy? Uh, no, but I haven't looked at any of the uh, early collections. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess like Peanuts was actually pretty incisive yeah. in the sixties. Early on, yeah. yeah. Like, I what would be super weird is if Family Circus was really incisive at some point. Oh man, hmm. yeah. 
Like if really what happened was that he was just like super liberal, but then times just changed and made yeah. him into the like the ur grandpa. Right. <laughs> Maybe the original Hagar the Horribles were really violent. <laughs> Maybe the Wizard of Id. I remember some funny Wizards of Id, but you know what was like basically never funny was BC by Johnny Hart. Uh, yeah. That I mm. ever saw. It was like sometimes it would quote a Bible verse. Ha 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 ha! I, I remember playing a, a game called BC that I think was officially licensed on the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, where you're a caveman running along on the. It was basically an endless runner. Like I don't think there were levels. Am I wrong? I don't know. I never played it. Yeah, I never had a Commodore sixty four. The other thing it could have been like, and maybe this is more likely at the time, is Moon Patrol. Okay, so I mean. It wasn't an endless... Like, Moon Patrol was pres- prescribed. Right. But it was... Yeah. I mean, maybe just seeded. Yeah. Uh, that's my life. Well, guys. This has been a fun episode. Episode 238 of Video Games Hot Dog. And I hope we do it again real soon. And l- and listeners, uh, we don't owe you shit. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Patreon.com slash VGHD. Have a great week, everybody. I have no idea if that's the actual URL. Uh, yeah, I think so. VGHD.patreon.com? No. Patreon.com slash VGHD? Patreon.com slash support dot ASP question mark <laughs> support T equals V8 VGHD. V8. Yeah. V8 VGHD. <laughs> <laughs>